0: So, this morning, we're talking about the mission of God, which means, I suppose, that it's time for me to browbeat us into feeling really guilty about not talking to our friends and neighbors about the gospel. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> if, uh, if I may just release us of that and point out the truth that it is the mission of God and that God started this mission a long time before you were born and has been doing it all through your life and will do it long after you are dust, unless Jesus comes back first, which I hope He does. That, that this mission has belonged to God and is God and it is, what, it is what God is doing in the world. There is an invitation to us to be a part of it. But it's important to keep in mind whose mission it is. Otherwise, you will get to feeling really guilty. Have you ever seen something again for the first time? You're looking at it and like, whoa, and the wonder of it hits you. The very best example I can think of is the fact that uh, not next week, but the week after I will have been married 20 years. should have known better. <laughs> it's been happening to me a lot lately. I'll come around a corner or something and I'll see her and there she is. and Curve of her face. I saw her for the first time in a Bible study back in Circe. She was friends with a bunch of people that I was friends with, but we didn't know each other. We went to that Bible study from August through October, never talked to her, not once. She was too pretty. <laughs> Couldn't get up the courage. I've spent 20 years walking into that woman's heart. And I have found it to be the most beautiful, wondrous place. I keep meeting Christ there. And lately it surprises me over and over again who am I that I would deserve that? She amazes me with her goodness, her commitment to do what is right, even if it costs us. And she calls me back to myself. And in those moments when I see her anew and fresh, wake me if I'm the only one dreaming through this. But that first passion, that first love that I felt when I was a kid of 26, it 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 wakes up again. do you know what I mean? You know because we we walk along through life and and you can get to to the point where the rhythms become the rhythms and they they just everything kind of becomes mundane. you settle down, you settle in, and you forget the wonder, but then you see it again for the first time, and you remember again who I really am and what I'm really about and what I really have here and how incredible it is and how I need to protect and preserve that. You know what I'm talking about? This is the best example I could think of of something else I want to talk about. Because I want to invite us to see something that's even more important again for the first time. Have you ever seen this movie? Raise your hands if you've seen Risen. I... I'm about to ruin this movie for you. Uh, this is a great movie. It really is. It is, it, what, is what it's about, it's... Well, and, and by the way, spoiler alert, but this, this came out in 2016. You can get this thing. It's on the shelves. It is so totally worth your time. The movie Risen follows this man, a, a Roman centurion, I think his name is Clavius, uh, on a search for the body of Jesus Christ which he cannot find because it's not a body anymore. I love this movie because it helps me see it again for the first time. But I want to I take you to a moment in this movie that captures what we're talking about today. Uh, we've, we've got just two minutes of watching a movie. Are you okay with that? Like I said, if you haven't seen it, mm, well, consider this an advertisement. It is worth seeing. but But let's... Let's, what we're going to watch here is the moment when Clavius first sees the body he's looking for. Let's, let's watch this video. Again, for the first time. I guess I wasn't there to see it the first time. One of the things I love about that movie is it invites me to see it from a different perspective and to experience it again. The fascinating thing about Clavius in, in the movie, which is, of course, fiction. I mean, it is. Did the manhunt happen? Sure. Did they succeed? No. And... Did the dude who did did the manhunt become a Christian? I have no idea. Boy, that would be great, but it would make a really good story. Trust me, it does. It's a good movie. You should watch it. But in the movie, the the reason that that wound in his side is so important is that it's Clavius that did it to his body. He's looking at what he did. And he's experiencing this this wonder of... And do you see that it, it takes his breath away? He has to sit down because if this is real, if this is true, then everything is different than I thought it was. Everything changes in a moment. But you and I, we've lived through that moment. We've been there in that. And it is so easy to settle into the rhythms It's so easy to become immune to the wonder of it. The fantastic, startling, fantastic, startling reality of a man who was dead and alive again and proclaimed as God. It interrupts everything, sets us back on our heels if we let it. If you see it again for the first time and as it always does, when you see something for the first time again, it stirs that same wonder, those same loves, that same passion, that same I've got to do something about this, right? Let's look at what Luke gives us when he first gives it to us. As they were talking about these things, which things? Well, this is right after last week's sermon. If you weren't here, sorry. Uh, I'm not going to go through that half hour again. But uh, they're on their way to Emmaus, and they find out that it's Jesus. He did what He did in the movie. just disappears. So they get up, and they they run. They find the eleven. And they tell them everything about the the journey along the road. And as they're talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them, and He said to them, Peace to you. startling presence of the Lord. You know, before I go on, have you, have you ever... Obviously, you, haven't, you probably haven't encountered the body of the Lord standing with you, but have you ever had at that moment where He does this? Because He still does this stuff. Where He shows up all unexpected, uninvited, and interrupts like He did in Solomon's temple when He filled it with smoke and fire and they couldn't worship for a while. Or when He steps into your prayer and suddenly your words are gone and you can't talk he whispers peace this is who he is and but they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit and who wouldn't they watched him die some of them dead many of them in run and hidden but they knew he was a dead man who wouldn't think he was a spirit so what does he do about that And he said to them, why are you troubled and why are doubts rising in your hearts? See my hands and my feet like he did in the movie. He shows them. Look at this. Look, the hole's still here. You know, ghosts don't carry scars, but I've got them. What happened to me left its mark. What I did for you left its mark. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He's saying, I'm not just a disembodied spirit. There are a lot of Christians who think the Christian hope is to get disembodied. That's Plato that taught that, not Jesus. Plato taught that you need to escape the prison that that your soul is walking around in. You get to throw that thing away. The Christian hope is resurrection. That the body-soul unity will be restored and the body that you have will be raised from the grave. But it will be like His imperishable, immortal. But he goes on to further proofs. And while he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy, those first emotions, that wonder, I can't believe it. This is so amazing. While they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now why is he doing that? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. Now why did he do that? He needed to demonstrate the truth and the reality once and for all who He was and what had happened. Because something amazing and startling had happened. This is a man. Jesus Christ is 100% human. He's also somehow 100% divine. He is both of those things. But He is truly man. Truly God. Truly flesh. One of us. God among us in the flesh. But after the resurrection, He is something we aren't yet. Because He is a glorified man. He came the first time in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that He was just like us in every way. And He suffered and died in the likeness of sinful flesh. But in His resurrected state, He is what we will be. We will be like him when he comes. So this vanishing and appearing stuff, that's not his godness, that's his resurrected manness, his altering appearanceness, you know, the, the fact that people can't recognize him. That's not just confusion because he's, you know, supposed to be dead. There's something different about the resurrected man. None of the sins stick to him. And He truly bears the image of God. He is what we will be. We will become like Him. So in order to prove that He's still man, He says, touch me. You have bone. I have bone. I didn't leave my bones behind and neither will you. You will collect them again. You'll get up out of the ground. The resurrection is coming for everyone. And I'm the promise that it's here. I have overcome your grave. And I am Saul. Give me food. I'll eat. You must know that this is what you will be. You will be glorified someday. A thing that if you could see it now, if you could see what you will be now, you would be tempted to worship. You shouldn't. There's one man to worship. But if we fallen creatures could see what we will be, And what is it worth giving up to have that? Well, what's not worth that? What pain is not worth suffering to enter into that wonder and glory into which you have been invited by the resurrected Christ? And once he's proven who and what he is, he sets about saying, This was always the plan. Always. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. I've been telling you this is where things are headed that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again. Now if his sermon stopped there, and this is a sermon, this unpacking of Scripture that he does, it took longer than the what 25 seconds that I just took to read that. He spent some time with them here. In fact, He had some days to instruct them on this. I mean, there was quite a while that He's giving them. But here, this is this sermon, this first time that He brings them and He shows them the Scriptures. But if He stopped there, then what you would get from that is, wow, this was always God's plan. It honestly would be no different than the sermon He gave. You know, Jesus gave two sermons on Sunday. The sermon on the road to Emmaus where He unpacked the Scriptures and He let them see it. Wouldn't you have loved to hear that? I wish that Luke had written down both of these. I wish we had them. But at any rate, that first sermon was to say, look, this was no mistake. It was always the plan of God. You see that in Isaiah 53. You know that this was... I mean, once it happens, and then you see Isaiah 53, does anyone doubt that's Christian Scripture? Scripture? Of course it is. It was the plan of God unfolding all along. Or you run into Moses saying, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And you realize that he bore the curse. He took the curse away. Well, in order to do that, he stepped into curse. Or you hear God pronounce the curse on the earth and say, Well, bring forth thorn and thistle. What was his crown? His crown was the curse. Crowned with the curse, hanging in the curse, and then lifted up out of it, and by His stripes we are healed. It was always God's plan. But if it stopped there in that room, that honestly, that would be enough. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on. Oh, that goes off the screen, and I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have all of twenty-four, forty-seven memorized. But it says that that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Or something to that effect. What is that? Well, that's them. Sitting right there in the room. Suddenly, they were hearing Scripture and then they discover when He gets to the part just before you sing, just as I am... You know, he's read it after the invitation song. He says, oh, by the way, you're in this story now. By throwing in with me, you have found your way into the story that I've been unwrapping and unfolding for you. That it was always God's intent, not only that this should happen, but that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in My name to all nations. That was always the plan. I suspect that colors the way the sermon went. You know, because I guarantee you that he starts in the garden with the curse and the curse that includes a promise. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. remember that? And he will strike your heel and he will you know you will strike his heel, he will crush your head. That was always the plan, the breaking of the work of the devil, the undoing of it. And it would happen through the death of that when a when a serpent in that part of the world bites you on the heel, what happens to you? You die. That's right. Those are adders. When they bite you, you've got about a second and a half before the poison hits your neurosystem and it just shuts off. You know, the, the Kenyan name for the for the black mamba is the turn around and look at your house snake. Because when it bites you, that's how long you've got. It's bitten you, you get to turn around and look at your house, and now you're dead. When that kind of serpent bites you, you die. And he dies crushing the head of the serpent. It's always been the plan, but then he I no doubt, he moved through the cursed section, the broken sections, the, the flood and the, and the Tower of Babel and all that mess, to Abraham. And the promise to Abraham that through you, I will bless all of the nations of the earth. They will all, all of the families of the earth will secure for themselves a blessing in you, Abraham. Well, how had that come true by the time that the Christ came? It hadn't. In fact, enmity had built up between Jews and non-Jews. They hated each other and they were the most hated people on the planet. And yet, in the Christ... Suddenly the promise is kept, but only if that happens. He says, you're part of this now. You're invited into this now. The old Joshua slaughtered the nations. He had to kill them. He was the only response that God left open. And it wasn't originally God's plan, by the way. His original plan for those nations was exile. If they'd done what God wanted, the hornet would have driven them out. But they wouldn't do what God said. And so the only option was slaughter. But now, another option has come to take the enemies and make them friends. To convert and rescue by our love that we have because of the Christ. And so we don't have to hate people and we don't have to judge people and we don't have to attack people because the Christ has died for those people. And we can preach the repentance and forgiveness of sins. They're invited into that. There is kings all over this world. And they reign by despotism and force. And they hurt their people. Find me a nation that doesn't produce victims. And I will find you only the church. Only the church, when she's being the church, binds up society's victims because she has a different kind of king. She has the king that was promised to come into David's family. The king that would reign forever. Who would bear the chastening rod for his people, but would never lose the steadfast love of God. And would have an eternal throne. This king can do it. He can reign over your life. And if you'll listen to His laws, you'll listen to His words, He will lead you into the best way of life that there is. Repent! Your sins are forgiven! That's the sermon He gave. Now, I wasn't there. But this is what He did. Unpacking the Old Testament to show there was always God's plan to love the nations. He had never given up His love of humanity. None of them. And He loves the nations. And He wants to pull them back to Himself. The cross is given for their forgiveness the people that it's so easy for christians in christendom to despise and hate and reject this is the mission into which we have been invited i'm sorry i meant to have that on the screen the whole time that this is what he did unpacking these scriptures to show us this new way this new way of understanding god that the cross compels upon us and invites us to understand as well so that as god if this is what god is like Therefore, so should we be. Ready to love all the time. And if God doesn't see their offense is so despicable that He despises them, then neither can we! One of the worst understandings of the Gospel is the Westboro Baptist Church. Have you seen these people? They go to the, the, the funerals of soldiers with signs that say horribly offensive things about your God. They haven't understood Him. They say this soldier died because America loves homosexuals. And because of that, folks, God loves homosexuals. Period. You will not find anyone outside of God's love. You will find all kinds of ways and behaviors that are outside of God's love. And you will find all kinds of people who reject God. And God will let them do it. That's why they need to hear about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's why the mission is crucial, but God loves everyone. Everyone without exception. And we are invited into the mission of love because you, He says, are witnesses of these things. Now, I can't bear witness the way the people in that room did. I can't give that testimony. But my goodness, am I ever a martyr. The Greek word for witness is martyr. And I have a testimony to give about this same God that's done these same things in my life and so do you. We also have seen the love and the grace of God. We've seen it in the Scriptures. We've seen it in the church. We've seen it in the service of Christians in love to people that can only be empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit, our God working through people. You have been witnesses to the truth of the Gospel. If it's true, if it's true, then you must interpret what you've seen as the power of the truth and you have a testimony to give. And the world needs it. And we are invited into it. That ancient story is our story. And just like He set them into the life of Abraham and said, you're part of that story. And He set them into the life of Moses. And He set them into the life of Joshua. And He set them into the life of David. And Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And He said, you are in that story. So He sets us now into the story of Bartholomew. The story of Peter. Peter. The story of Matthew. You also are part of the story. And you have the same wondrous thing to tell. And when you see it again, doesn't it stir the emotion? Doesn't it? And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. And what is that? What's the promise of the Father? That's the Holy Spirit. And this is why it is not a guilt trip to be invited into the mission. Without the promise of the Father, who's it up to? You? And you dirty, rotten scoundrel, you probably haven't talked to anybody this week, have you? I bet everybody you've talked to is already a Christian. What good are you? Worthless dirt? Well, if the mission is on you, I guess it would make sense for me to try and make you feel that way. But that's not Gospel! It's not the truth either. The truth is, behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father on you. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. It's not your mission! It's His. And if you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says, you know that in just a few weeks, that exact mission started happening not because they made it happen, but because the Holy Spirit did. What were they doing to get ready for it? Praying. Our big job when it comes to fulfilling the mission of the world is to pray and look for God. Watch what He's doing. But it's the hearts that pray and are open to the promise that it falls on. And he says, but, I, but you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is not a guilt trip. It's an invitation to get quiet and still and to pray. And then to have your eyes open for the movement of the Spirit. The resurrection of the Christ as Christ Himself interprets it means God's mission to forgive the world as it last begun. The promise given to Abraham millennia ago is being fulfilled among you. You live in these days. You were alive to see them. Praise God! And you get to see the work of the Holy Spirit as it's carried out through you. Because the hope of the world is sitting right here and in church buildings across this world. You are the hope of the world because God wills it to be so. God fulfills His work through us and the work is begun through the resurrection of the Christ. We, like them, find ourselves as part of this amazing story. We are part of the story. When the angels look around and they tell the story, some angel someday is going to mention your name. They're going to be talking about that time that you did that thing because the Holy Spirit led you to do it. And God led someone to repentance and to experience the forgiveness of their sins. You're invited into that self same story that they were invited into as well. So, what did they do? And He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. And while He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried into the heavens. And they were worshiping Him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple blessing God. They were obedient. They didn't feel a guilt trip. They didn't feel messed over that they hadn't already talked to some Roman soldier about Jesus Christ. No, they were obedient and they prayed. And then God led them into His wondrous mission. The hope for the mission of God is God. The Savior of the earth is God. You're invited to participate with Him in it. So, you also are part of the mission of God. And if that does not fill you with wonder and awe, you haven't seen it again for the first time yet, Because when I look at it again for the first time, I am always convicted and blessed and filled with the need to pray. God, lead me to somebody that doesn't know yet. Lead me to someone who does know, but who's broken. Help me to be about Your mission of saving the world through Christ Jesus my Lord. Look at it again. See it again. Let the wonder and love of it move you again. If you look into your heart this morning and you're seeing that and you want the church to pray that you might be about it, if we don't pray after this sermon, then we are sound asleep. We are not just kind of a little neglectful, you know. We are done. And we need to be about this. But if you want somebody to pray specifically for you, this is a praying church. We will pray for you. And it may be that you came here this morning and you're hurting. You're hurting because sin is heavy on you. Or you're hurting because the suffering world has fallen with both feet on on your neck. Well, if you need the prayers of the church, we want to pray for you. And if you're not a Christian this morning, no better day than to enter into the resurrection of Christ Jesus than this day. If this morning you're subject to God's invitation, there's room right here.